Well, once again, good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning, Crossroads? Everybody good? I want to thank you so much uh, for being here with us, whether you're here at Newburgh with us at our West Campus or watching with us online. Like your host said, um, my name is Ross. I'm the high school pastor here at our Newburgh campus, and I'm so thrilled to be here with you today as we keep going in this series in the book of Acts. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to go, Acts chapter 16. While you're turning there, um, I just want to see, do you like who you're sitting next to today? Do you like who you're sitting next to? Kind of. Why don't you look to your neighbor and say, hey, you look great this morning. You look great. Even if it's not true, it's a prophecy, you know. <laughs> Speaking life here at Crossroads. Um, also, while you're turning there, we got to tell you how excited. I just want to echo again what the host said. We are so excited about our Easter services here at Crossroads coming up so soon. And man, we really believe this about Easter, that Easter is an opportunity that for those that normally wouldn't attend a church service to come to a church service. And that means that it's a great opportunity for us as a church body to invite our friends and family and coworkers. And so here's what we've done. At the end of each row here at Newburgh, we actually have some of these invites. If you would, just if you're on the end of that row, go ahead and grab some of those invites, pass them down your row. If you're at the West Campus, they should have been on your seats when you came in. We want you to have those in your hands so that you can take them to your workplace, to your school, wherever, um, and invite your friends and family to join us. If you're watching with us online, we actually have some of those invites at cccgo.com slash Easter. We'll also be uh, posting them on our Instagram and Facebook pages so that you can share them that way as well. All right, Acts chapter 16, um, hopefully you're there by now. And, um, you know, I, I got to set it up a little bit before we jump right into the scripture here this morning. Um, this is a story about two men named Paul and Silas who are preaching uh, in, in this town uh, called Philippi. And then all of a sudden, um, because they're preaching the word of the Lord, they get thrown into prison for doing so. And just when it seems like they should be giving up, just when it seems like they should be throwing in the towel, just when it seems like they should be quitting, Paul and Silas decide to worship. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today is worship. Acts chapter 16 Starting in verse 25 is where we're going to go. It says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at, at once, all the prisoner, prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? If you're taking notes with me today, the title of this message is Worship is a Weapon. Worship is a Weapon. Come on, would you pray with me as we jump into this message today? Lord, I thank you so much that we get to come here and we get to worship you, whether we're at Newburgh, watching online, or at our West Campus. Father, I, I just thank you that we get to come here and learn more about you as well. God, I pray that you would help me to communicate your word clearly and effectively, that I'd be able to preach it like I feel it this morning. God, and I just believe that you're gonna help us to leave here better today than we came in. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, 
Amen. Come on, let's wake up a little bit this morning. I said, and everybody said? Yeah. Amen. There we go. There we go. There we go. Hey, just real quick, I like to do this every once in a while to give a, a little bit of a poll. I want to see who, who I'm working with here this morning. Uh, how many of you would say that you grew up in the church? You grew up in the church. You are a church kid. All right, we got a lot of church kids here at Newburgh. I got to tell you, I, I, you got to forgive me. I feel like I talk about this a lot, but growing up in the church was such a big part of who I am, and, and, and now it really is who it, you know, I, I do what I do because I grew up in the church. You know, it's such a big part of my identity. And um, I was a church kid through and through. I grew up in the church. My first slow dance was to our God is an awesome God. <laughs> it's not true, but it's just a little pastor joke we make. Um, I, uh, I grew up in the church, and man, I, I used to love, my favorite thing about growing up in the church was the music in the church. I don't know if you know this here at Crossroads, but we are spoiled to have the worship team that we do. Man, I'm telling, come on, can we give it up for our worship team here at Newburgh and at the West Campus? They're amazing, man. We, and we don't have, we didn't, I don't know if you had the same experience that I did, but growing up in church, we didn't have always the, be the best singers. Um, we didn't always have the best songs either. I'm just going to be honest. Like some of the songs we sang when I was growing up in church, they were a little bit, uh, they were a little bit creepy, if, if I'm honest. Like I remember my first solo ever, right, in my, in my kids' choir that I was in. It was a song called Turn Around. And the first solo I ever had, this is the chorus of the song. It goes, turn around, turn around, turn around. Slam on the brakes or get out of town before the devil takes you on his way down. Turn around, turn around, turn around. It's like, is it okay for us to sing this song to five-year-olds? Like, turn around before the devil takes you on his way down. Are you kidding me? This is terrifying, you know. Some of the songs we sang in church growing up, they would get stuck in your head, man, and they would not leave. They were kind of, if I'm honest, like kind of annoying, right? Like if you know this next song, sing it along with me, okay? It goes like this. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my, okay, I gotta stop because if it gets stuck there, it won't come out. It's like, it's a small world. It just keeps going, you know? Yes, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, you know, I, <laughs> that was good. Um, you know, I, I, I also, I just remember that like there were songs that had like hand motions as well. You know, like a church song is not a church song without hand motions, people. We had to get our worship on with hand motions. There was a song that we used to sing called The Lord's Army. Do you know this one? Do you know this one? If you know it, sing it along with me. It goes, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. All the people you just saw do the little yes, sir thing, that's the real Christians in the room right there. That's the real Christians. Because uh, they made it through that song. Um, you know, I, I just remember, I heard a lot of preachers and pastors talk about worship when I was growing up in the church. One time I heard a pastor actually say this line and it stuck with me. He says, your worship is a weapon. Except he sounded a lot cooler than I just sounded right there. He said, your worship is a weapon. And when I first heard this, it stuck with me because it really just kind of threw me off, you know. Worship is a weapon, that sounds like fighting words. And despite all these muscles that I have, I'm not much of a fighter. I don't know why that's funny, people. 
I'm not much of a fighter, man. It kind of threw me off like I've been in like one fight before and it just was basically your mama jokes. That's it. I, um, I just, I just, I, uh, I'm not much of a fighter. It kind of threw me off when I first heard it. Worship is a weapon because you only need a weapon when you're in a fight, right? It really just took me, you know, for a loop I, until I started getting a little bit older and I realized what the Bible says is actually true, that you and I are in a fight. And the fights that we face here on earth, they're not actually of flesh and blood, but actually we're fighting against powers and principalities of darkness. What does that mean? It means that if you could peel back the spiritual layers, if you will, of this world, you would see that there's a fight going on right now for you and for me, a fight against light and dark, a fight against good and evil, a fight between heaven and hell, a fight between God and all his angels and Satan and all his demons for your life, for your soul, I'm here to remind some people today because I feel like we keep fighting very spiritual battles with very earthly weapons. Well, I'll just read another book. Well, I'll just hear another YouTube teaching. I'll I'll hear another TED talk. I'll listen to a podcast. We're listening and we're trying to fight spiritual battles with earthly weapons. But I'm here to remind some people today that you do have a spiritual weapon that you carry with you no matter where you go. And it's a weapon called worship. No matter what your fight looks like today, whether your fight looks like sickness, you've got a weapon called worship. If it looks like sickness, you can worship the Lord who says that he is your healer. If your fight today is with your own insecurities and you feel like like you're lost and the rest of the world has forgotten you, you can worship the God who says he will never leave you nor forsake you. If your fight is with your finances today, trust me, you can worship the God who says that he is your provider. No matter what your fight is today, you need to be reminded that we all have a weapon called worship. We have a weapon called worship. And in the story of Paul and Silas, what's happening here, I wanna give you a little bit more detail about what's actually going on. Paul and Silas have been preaching in the towns and in the cities. They've been telling people about Jesus, as many people as they possibly can. And they come across this place called Philippi, and there in Philippi, they encounter a little bit of a problem. See, there's a woman there who the Bible says is demon-possessed. She has a gift, if you will, from darkness, but she's able to tell people's fortunes. But she's a slave. There are men that own her, and they are profiting off of her fortune-telling. And so what happens is the Bible says that this woman, she recognizes the spirit of the Lord on the inside of these men. And she begins to follow Paul and Silas around wherever they go. And as they're trying to teach, she's kind of cramping their style. She's making fun of them. She's mocking them. She's taunting them. The Bible actually says that Paul gets annoyed with her and he realizes something. He says, you know what? The spirit of God that's on the inside of me is powerful, way more powerful than the spirit that is on the inside of her. So he speaks to the demon inside the woman and says, demon, come out of her and he casts the demon out of this woman. Now, the men who own her are a little upset by this because now she's lost her gift and can't tell people's fortunes anymore. So now it's affected their income. It's affected their way of life. So these men, they begin to spread rumors and gossip about Paul and Silas, and they have Paul and Silas arrested, beaten and flogged and thrown into prison. They're thrown into prison. A prison. Now imagine where they really are. This is Middle East 2,000 years ago. Imagine how dirty it is. The ground is cold. This is a prison. This is a dark, dark place. 
I wish I could go into all the detail about how they were beaten and flogged. These weren't just like a few whippings. This was like open scabs and wounds on their body. Every time they would breathe, it would hurt. Every time they would speak, it would make it worse. The Bible says that actually their feet are put into stocks, meaning they were very, it was a very, very painful contraption. They would not be able to move. And if they tried to move, it would be very painful and very uncomfortable. They're in a dark place and they're stuck. What do you do when you're stuck? What do you do when you don't know what to do? I'll tell you what Paul and Silas did in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. We just read it, but I'm gonna read it to you again. It says, about midnight. Everybody say midnight. And we'll stop right there, and, and, and why is this important? It's because a lot of times when the night is at its darkest, our worship needs to be at its loudest. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. We'll stop there. Why is this part important? Because I believe that the world knows exactly what Christians are going to shout. They know exactly what Christians are going to sing when everything's going good in your life. But apparently, they're still listening when things are going bad. They want to see if we're still singing the same song. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas began to worship. This is kind of weird because... In the prison, I don't know that this is the place where I would start holding a worship concert. Doesn't seem like the place where we should just start a worship set, Paul. Silas, get off the tambourine. Right now's not a good time, right? Which brings me to point one of my message. I think Paul and Silas knew this truth, that worship can help you remember in the dark what you have seen in the light. Worship can help you remember in the dark what you have seen before in the light. Notice it says about midnight. What does midnight represent? Darkness. What does darkness always represent in the Bible? Confusion. Have you ever been in a very confusing place? Where the best you know how, you're trying to do the will of the Lord, you're trying to seek his will for your life, yet you still can't find clarity on the situation and you don't know if you're making the right moves. That's what midnight looks like. Where you're trying the best you possibly can to raise godly children, yet you've realized as they've gotten older that you're no longer the biggest influence in their life, that instead their phone and their friends are. And you see your child walking away from the Lord and you pray for them day in and day out, wondering when they're gonna turn back around. That's what midnight looks like. When you're surrounded by people, yet you still feel lonely and lost and afraid. And in the group, when you're hanging out on Friday night, everyone's laughing. Everyone's having a good time. But then you go home and you're upset and you're crying because you know they don't know the real you. And they don't know how lonely you are. They only know the image that you portray out there for the world to see. That's what midnight looks like. I mean, forget the fact that they're in prison. But they're in prison at midnight. How many of you know at midnight, it's real dark? And in the dark, things aren't as they appear. In the dark at midnight, things sound a little bit different, right? They look a little bit different. Your refrigerator running downstairs sounds like a monster in your basement. As you stay up at night, the wind blowing through the trees sounds like a werewolf outside your window. How could Paul and Silas worship in the dark? Things in the dark seem scary unless you've seen it before in the light. Ah, that's just the fridge. Oh, that's just the wind. There's nothing to worry about. I believe Paul and Silas could worship in the dark 
Because God had been faithful before in the light. Listen, when you've already defeated a lion and a bear, Goliath don't seem that bad. When you've already crossed the Jordan River, when you've already crossed the Red Sea, excuse me, the Jordan River doesn't look all that bad, does it? When you've already overcome in the light, the darkness isn't all that bad. I, uh, I gotta tell you, I have, a, I have a little bit of a bad habit in my life and I'm trying to work on it. I, uh, a lot of times I fall asleep to the TV on our couch at night. Um, and I, I don't really just like go straight to bed. My wife, Nikki, now she goes straight to bed every time, always, on time, all the time. She's really good about this. She can, just, she can just get in the bed, go to sleep in like two seconds. I can't. I have trouble sleeping at night, and sometimes I do have to like watch TV to kind of wind down. But oftentimes I'll fall asleep to the TV, and then I'll wake up in the middle of the night. Oftentimes it's midnight or even later, and when I wake up, our TV is timed out, and so it's off. All the lights in our house are off, and it's completely dark. And now I've got to make my way up the stairs, down the hall, to our bedroom, creak open the door, walk all the way around the bed to my side of the bed and try to like cuddle in next to her and put the covers over me without waking Nikki up. But can I tell you, I'm a pro at this. Like, I'm so proud of myself. Like, I, no one can walk in the dark better than me at my house. I know how to walk in the dark at my, now listen, if I came to your house, I don't know the layout of your house. I'd probably would bump my knee on the bed. I'd probably hit my face on the wall. But at my house, I know exactly where I'm going. I don't even have to see. You know why? Because I've walked that same path so many times with the lights on. Listen, it's about to get really good. I'm just gonna tell you, I came here to preach this morning and I hope you're ready. I don't have to see it in the dark because I've already seen it in the light. I can make my way through the dark because I've already seen it in the light. Hear me today, I don't have to see God's goodness in my life to know that God is still good. Why, because I know it by heart. I don't have to see that God is faithful to know that he's always going to be faithful. Why, because I've been there before and I know it by heart. I don't have to feel hope in order to have hope. In the dark, I know it by heart. It doesn't matter what season I'm in. I can worship in the dark. I can sing in the dark until the sun comes up. I can worship until the lights turn on. I can worship until the situation changes because if my God has done it before in the light, he'll do it again in the dark. If he's done it before, best believe he's going to do it again. And even though you can't see him, doesn't mean he's not there. What does it look like for you right now? Is it hard to see him? <laughs> Is it tough right now? I'm here to tell you, if you've still got breath in your lungs, you got a reason to worship him. If you woke up this morning, he's done something for you in the light. And in the dark where it's difficult to see, you can still use this weapon called worship to remind yourself, even if I don't see it in the dark, I can remember what it was like in the light as I make my way through. Paul and Silas, they get thrown into prison for doing the right thing. I mean, they're preaching about Jesus. 
You ever done the right thing and it led you to the wrong place? Paul and Silas, they're doing the right thing and they end up in the wrong place. At least it appears to be the wrong place. But just because it appears to be the wrong place doesn't necessarily mean that it is. Which brings me to point two if you're taking notes this morning. It says this worship will turn the wrong place into the right place. Worship will turn the wrong place into the right place. It appears to be the wrong place, but how many of you know the wrong place can suddenly become the right place if it's the place where Jesus wants you to be? I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be in what seems like the wrong place with Jesus than what seems like the right place without him. The wrong place can quickly become the right place. I don't know if anybody else does this, right? But when I read the Bible, I really just try to imagine exactly what it was like. Like I, li- I like to give a little bit of personality to the people in the Bible. I think about Paul, right? Before his name was Paul, his name was Saul. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. Actually, he wanted to kill Jesus. He was a Christian killer. <laughs> he was not a good person at all. He was a man who kind of had an anger issue. He had an attitude problem, right? But I imagine Paul, just because he gets saved, it doesn't necessarily change his personality. I like to think that he's still a little bit rough around the edges. Like he loves Jesus, but if you mess with him, he'll kill you. <laughs> I imagine like Paul is this rough and tough kind of guy. He's, he's obviously a leader, right? He writes two-thirds of the New Testament, and he leads a lot of people in his life. Silas, I imagine, is kind of like Silas is his, his little sidekick, you know. He's kind of getting dragged everywhere by, by Paul wherever he goes, you know. He's a little bit more meek and mild-mannered. And I just imagine, like, Paul and Silas are now in this prison, in this really dark place. Their feet are in the stocks, and they can't move. And Paul's there with his attitude, and he's going, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm telling you, man, I'm getting so mad. I'm just about to scream. And Silas over here going, Paul, just calm down. Just please just quiet your voice. No, man, no, we got to do something, okay? I'm telling you, I didn't come all this way just to get stuck in a prison. He's like, Paul, listen, you just need to be quiet, okay? We don't want to get any, into any more trouble, okay? Can you please? Paul's like, no, man, we got to do something. We got to fight. We got to fight. He's like, no, man, that's how we got here in the first place. He's like, no, listen, we're going to do something. I heard a preacher one time say that our worship is like a weapon. I'm going to start singing, man. He's like, Paul, you're a terrible singer. Please don't do that. No, Oh, man, I'm gonna start singing. I'm gonna start singing. Listen, sigh. Just repeat after me, man. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the. Paul, please stop. Shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. And immediately what happens when Paul and Silas begin to lift their voice, check out what happens in verse 26. It says, suddenly, suddenly when we begin to worship, guess what? Suddenly's happen. Addictions are no longer addictions. Things that were wrong in your life suddenly become right. When your kids who were running from the Lord suddenly turn back around when you begin to worship, even in the midnight hour, it says suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Sometimes you need to know this. Your worship is so powerful, it can loosen the chains of people who didn't even know they wanted to be free suddenly they begin to sing and I can tell you something if the chains came loose and the prison doors fly open and I'm Paul and Silas yo I'm out (laughs) peace 
I am gone. But have you ever had that kid in your class who when the teacher was teaching all day long and, for, and forgot to take up your math homework, the bell's about to ring. You think you're gonna get out of there scot-free. All of a sudden, that kid, uh, Mrs. Smith, uh, did you forget to take up last night's math homework? Because I definitely did it. And everybody in the class is like, bro, shh. We were almost out of here, man. The bell was about to ring. I'm telling you, that's who I would have been in this situation. The prison doors fly open. I'm out. God is good. Great is thy faithfulness. As I walk out of the prison, not caring anything about everybody else. But Paul, listen to what he does in verse 27. Everybody's thinking they're going to get out. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He's about to do them a favor because he thought the prisoners had escaped but Paul shouted uh Mr. Prison Guard please don't harm yourself we are all here the jailer called for the lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas he then brought them out and asked sirs oh you're real respectful now sirs okay what must I do to be saved what must I do to be saved he thought they had escaped because that's what you do when the prison doors open. But isn't this very interesting? These prisoners who I would imagine prayed for years, God, get me out of here. Get me out of this situation. God, would you just free me? All of a sudden, when the prison doors were open, no one wanted to leave the presence of God. Just goes to show that the presence of God can turn your prison into your purpose. I just gave a word right there for somebody because for so long you've been asking the Lord to deliver you from your prison. You've been asking him to get you out of the situation that you're in, but maybe he doesn't wanna get you out of the situation. No, he wants to get the gospel into your situation. This is what Paul says. Paul says, no, no, no. It doesn't matter if you open or close the prison doors. I'm not going anywhere. I didn't come to Philippi just to get out. I came to Philippi to get the gospel into Philippi. You and I, we have a purpose, even if it is in the prison. Even if it is that things aren't going good in your life right now, you can worship him and believe that he'll turn your prison into a purpose. Would you believe that the jailer, he asks, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas tell him and he accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior that day. Not only that, but then he travels over to his, he takes Paul and Silas to his house and his whole family gets saved. And by the end of the story, they're all baptized. You just have to imagine that Paul and Silas, they walked away from this whole scene, just shaking their heads going, God, I don't know how you did it. Like, it just feels like we just went into a battleground. We just had a fight and we won, but we didn't do anything. Like, we were just fighting, but all we did was just sing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all this stuff happened. Our chains fell off. The doors opened up. This guy, we saved his life, and then we saved his soul. This is nuts. Then we saved his whole family. So then they all got baptized. This is, God, you were so good. You did so much more than we thought you were going to do. And it reminds me of a personal story of my own. It's a story of about... Um, about five years ago, I was a youth pastor uh, in Tampa, Florida. 
And uh, I was preaching to our middle school and high school students about telling their friends about Jesus. Hey, go tell your friends about Jesus, you know. And after service was over, a young lady came down to the front of the stage as I was heading down. And her name was Valentina. She said, Pastor Ross, I wanna, I wanna tell somebody about Jesus, but I don't know how. And so we talked a little bit about it. And I said, listen, your friends are gonna thank you for this. And she goes, but that's kind of a problem because it's, it's not really my friends necessarily. It's, it's actually my, my father. I wanna talk to him about Jesus. I said, well, I, I understand it can be a little bit more difficult talking to your, your family about this kind of thing, but I was like, girl, you keep living your life for Jesus. You, can't, you keep letting Jesus change you and your dad's gonna see it over time. She goes, mm, that's a problem actually because I don't know if we have time. You see, my, my dad's been diagnosed with stage four cancer all over his body and the doctors are giving him just a few weeks now. And I said, okay, well, I wanna come to your house then. We're gonna pray for your dad's healing. I said, when's a good day? She said, Sunday afternoons are really good. I said, great, we'll come after, after church. I'll never forget that Sunday. I get in my car and I start driving over to their house, Angelo's house, Angelo's her father's name. We start driving over to their house and I'm thinking to myself, I'm 25 years old, I'm about to go and pray for a grown man with kids. I don't even know what to do, God. Like, what am I gonna say that's gonna help him, you know, it's gonna give him strength? How are you gonna do this? What if you don't heal him? Like, what? What have I got? And I just began to just play some worship music in my car and I just began to sing and worship because I knew I, I had nothing else. I said, I'm gonna go into a fight right here. I'm, I got nothing else. I'm just gonna use worship as my weapon. And I'll never forget this. I walked into their house and, and Angelo is laid out on a, on a bed right there in their living room and, and there in the house is, is Valentina, her dad Angelo, Valentina's mom and her best friend. And uh, we all just gathered around kind of the bed and we start praying, you know, and, and, and I'm praying for his healing. And then all of a sudden, I just stop in the middle of the prayer. I said, Angelo, do you, do you know, man, like if this doesn't work out, which you're never supposed to do as a pastor, but I said it anyway. I said, if this doesn't work out, man, do you know if you're gonna go to heaven or not? He said, nah, I don't. I said, do you wanna be sure? He said, yeah, yeah, I do wanna be sure. And would you believe that right there on that Sunday afternoon that Angelo Valentina, her mom, and her best friend all prayed a prayer and accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior on that day. We can clap for that, yeah. I walked out of there kind of shaking my head going, God, you did more than I thought you were gonna do. I had no idea, man. I, I, I was going into a fight and all I did was worship. Little did I know though that the fight wasn't over. That was on a Sunday and on a Tuesday, I got a text from Val telling me that her dad had passed. On Wednesday, the next day, we had to have another youth service. I mean, it just came right back around, so we have our youth service and, and worship is happening. We're, we're closing out the service with worship just like we're gonna do here this morning. And um, I, I came out on the stage and I'm worshiping, I'm kind of praying to close out the service and I look and I see Val right there at the front, hands lifted as high as they could possibly go, gritting her teeth, tears streaming down her face the day after her dad had died. After service was over, I went straight to Val. I said, oh my goodness, girl, how, how are you even here right now? Real quickly, she kind of just straightened up. She started wiping her tears. She goes, Pastor Ross, where else would I be? Where else would I be? I got a reason to sing. I got a reason to worship. 
My God is still on the throne, and guess what? Now I know my daddy's sitting right next to him. It's just a good reminder for you and I today that if I ever start feeling bad about my situation, about my darkness, about my fight, about my prison, I can just remember that I've still got a reason to sing. I've got a reason to worship because my God is still on the throne. No matter what fight I go through, I've got a weapon called worship. At this point in our service, um, if you're at our West Campus, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. I'm going to pass things off to your host. Kelly Ward is going to take things from here and close out your service. But for those of us that are still with us online and those here at our Newburgh Campus, I got to tell you, as I look back at the story of Paul and Silas, right, all week long, I've been thinking about this. This, this whole story was a fight. It was a battle. And it's easy to see that God won and the devil took a big loss, big time. And, and like, I feel like we all know that at any time God could have won this fight, at any time. But I look back on the story and I was trying to think like, where did he mess up? Like, where did the devil like cross the line and God was like, all right, I've had enough. Where was it that Satan just took it a little bit too far and God was like, all right, that's it. Was it when he let the demon-possessed woman get a little bit too close to Paul and Silas? Was that when he crossed the line? Was it, was it when maybe she was mocking and taunting these men of God and annoying them? Did she annoy God? Was it maybe when they were beating them and flogging these great men of God? Did that really just send God over the edge where he had had enough? Where did Satan take it too far? Was it when they put him in these stocks where they couldn't move? anymore and then all of a sudden it hit me and I went oh man I should have I should have known this and then it made me think oh wait a second the devil should have known this I started thinking oh devil you are so dumb you are so dumb you should have seen this coming from a mile away you want to know where the devil messed up he messed up when he put Paul and Silas in the same prison cell he should have known like you and I know what Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 says. It says, for wherever two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. The devil should have known that was his slip up. That was his mistake when he put Paul and Silas together because he knew that where they gather together and they begin to sing and they begin to worship, guess what? The Spirit of the Lord is there with them. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, friends, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, chains have to fall. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, prison doors have to open. Oh, come on, you can be sophisticated in your Christianity and stay seated this morning if you want to, but if you've got a reason to sing, if you've got a reason to worship, would you stand to your feet if you're able? Would you give him some praise? Would you put your hands together? There's at least two or three of us here in this room this morning. That must mean the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We've got a weapon today. We've got a weapon called worship. And as we stay standing all across the room, I just gotta tell you something. As you leave this room today, you know that I can't go with you. I mean, I could, but that would be creepy. 
I can't be your hype man when you walk out of here and you go back to your prison. We can't bring the band with you. I can't bring these worship leaders. No, no, you've gotta be your own worship leader. Husbands, it's time for some of us to step up and be a worship leader for our family as we speak peace over them. Wives, moms, it's time for some of us to step up and be worship leaders as we speak life over our kids and over our situation in our family. For some of you, you need to worship lead over your finances. For some of you, you need to worship lead over your sickness, over your pain, over your fight, over your prison. For some of you students in here, it's time for some of you to step up and be a worship leader in your school and in your circle of friends. It's time for us to speak that which isn't as if it were and believe that even though it seems dark, the light is coming. The light is on the way. Even though I'm in a prison, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I'm in a fight, but it's not even a fair one because I got a weapon. I got a weapon called worship. Come on, would you pray with me?